You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast, episode 8, Wayne Jones. Lessons Melbourne. Um, I'm here with the fantastic Wayne Jones of Wayne Jones Pro Audio fame and many other things as well, which we'll find about. So thanks for having me down here, Wayne. Um, it's great My pleasure. To, great to come and do a bit of a bass hang and check out all this wonderful gear. Um, I'm just going to ask you some questions about your background and how you get started and all this. Is that sure? Cool? Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about how you got started playing the bass? Playing bass? Yeah. I used to be a drummer. Right. Um, I had a, at the age of 17, I had a really bad accident with my hand, you know, the guitar player got me a job, the first half hour I'm in there, uh, a machine squashed my thumb, see that? Oh yeah. yeah. I couldn't hold a drumstick anymore. Right. So what does a musician do? What's the next best thing to drums? Bass. Bass. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got started. Right. Um, I've been playing since I was a kid, um, so I stopped for a while, and around about the age of 23 I started up. Okay. I've been playing professional ever since. Yeah. So just like lo local bands, cover scenes kind of thing? Yeah, both. Um, yeah. I used to write um, when I was about 17 or 18. We had a band and we wrote and we actually supported the band Chain with Michael Gnincy. My very first tour wow. was uh, off on the road with Michael and, uh, and Chain supporting them and I wrote most of the material for it. Mm. But in the 70s, we were doing cover bands like most other people and having residencies and some great players in those bands. Um, and we were writing at the same time. And uh, we ended up with a, a band in Melbourne called Southern Wind, which was Vince Jones on trumpet, Brian Lang on guitar, Bones, a drummer, and uh, the keyboard player from Jerry and the Pacemakers, Jose McLaughlin. Okay. Um, it was a great band. Russell Smith was on trumpet, and um, uh, we went off and did a almost like a jazz fusion thing mm. with Southern Wind, and then we actually won New Faces with Bert Newton. We won right. the, the finals, and we went on just to do some profile, really, so we can get gigs. Yeah, and they were amazed that they had the keyboard player from Jerry and mm. the Pacemakers and us a lot in there. And he was dressed up in a Superman outfit. We, we did a song called Superman Lover by Johnny Guitar Watson. And then Vince joined the band. And from New Faces, we got to Don Lane show right. in those days, which was the biggest variety show then. And Vince's first gig with us was at the Don Lane show. So that's how that came about. And we all just went different directions and progressed. I went off as a hired gun with different bands. and. Yeah. Ended up forming my own bands, one called Get Off The Cat, which was Jack Jones, <laughs> good name. Uh, Fallon Williams on drums, who's on my CDs. And um, John Grant on keyboards, a girl called Cheryl Beatty. And it became Jamie O'Neill on vocals and James Uluave. Jamie's a famous uh, country and western star now in, in the States. Okay. Uh, her mum was in the original John Farnham clip. Right. So she was the cleaning lady in Sadie. <laughs> Um, and James Oluave sadly passed away. He, he used to do backups with Jimmy Barnes and Kylie Minogue. So it was a hell of a band. Mm. And we were just doing covers as the Australian scene was like. 
Oh, it's pretty much the same now as well, I think. Yeah, except the money is not the same. It, mm. it went down in the 90s, but then right. uh, I ended up going off with Jabalani, which are a great South African band. Okay. And then out of that, uh, I was playing in a club called the X Club right next to where Jabalani was playing. I was waiting for the gig with Jabalani. And Mossy was looking for a, a band and the, the drummer that, in, that was in one of the other bands at the X Club put me in for, for the bass player. So I ended up with Mossy and the guitar player with Jabalani ended up with Mossy as well. Mm. He, he wanted to blend um, uh, some sort of funk black feel with the rock, okay. similar to Living Colour were doing in oh, those yeah. days. So cool. and we could provide that. Cool. So I ended up with him for a while. Yeah. And uh, ended up with Relax with Max and just doing corporate sessions with God knows who, from Matt Hetherington to Dale Ryder to yeah. whoever rang up and says, can you do this? Just like most people do now. Yeah. Until one day I sat there and I've got the really bad tinnitus from playing with Mossy, mm. unfortunate situation. But I stood on stage with Matt Hetherington at the casino and my ears were just clamming up and I went, can't do this anymore. And I'm looking at the audience thinking, great, I'm doing the same clubs, the same gigs, probably for less money than it was years ago. I've got to get off this merry-go-round. Mm. So I moved down here, which is beautiful, in Safety Beach, and um, wrote my own CDs, stopped playing with everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, a friend of mine invested. He said, I'll back your CDs. So perfect. We went to his studio in Queensland called mm. uh, Create Sound beautiful studio mm -hmm. and did the album I took Jerry Pantazas, um, Ash Crick from Tommy Emanuel he, he was my partner producer okay. uh, business partner that is yeah. My, yeah. Uh, and uh, Ron Pierce on guitar and James Sandon on sax mm -hmm. and we did the first album there and it was great um, then I decided well um, where am I going to market it so uh, mm. it was more funk jazz it's very melodic with mm. the six string bass mm. two basses and i went straight for the estates and hired a market a production um a promotion person there radio promotion he said you belong in the smooth jazz world i'll guarantee you top five uh added and it cost you this much for eight, eight to twelve weeks so i did that i was number one most added above george benson everybody in cool. the smooth jazz first album, first album. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it doesn't mean much unless you're doing uh, record sales and touring so uh, I'd get to about halfway up their charts mm. and there's various charts there's a BDS chart there's all sorts of smooth jazz charts right. and there's a billboard chart mm. and I can never I was always chart bound for billboard mm. so I thought well record another CD so we made another one that did the same sort of thing. I went over and did some promotion. Uh, then my promoters, the radio promoter person said to me, well, you, know, you just got to keep churning them out. So I did that and I'd learnt from him. So I did my own promotion then. Right. So I owned my own label. It was just a business name. I had an investor. I was doing everything a record company would do. Mm. I was the artist, the writer, the producer, <laughs> the whole lot. Right. So a great deal of great experience. Mm. To, to be gained and I've done four now and um, I got invited by a radio station in Florida WGRV the grooves they were called they loved my stuff 
to play in Florida mm. on the beach at the Crown Plaza midweek jazz event. Nice. Which was, it was great. Mm. And you know the name of the city? Melbourne. <laughs> so I'd, I stood on the stage and was going, I've just come from Melbourne. <laughs> and I'm in Melbourne, <laughs> in a different part of the world, well. which is great. They loved it. I had about six or 700 people out on, on this decking at the, at the rear of the hotel on the beach. Cool. And that was signing autographs, selling CDs on radio, doing radio interviews. Yeah, right. That wouldn't have happened here. No. Uh, just because of the market. Yeah, the genre. And... Um, then I met these people, the uh, sax player organised my band for me, his name was Mike MacArthur. Mm-hmm. And he, he was Maynard Ferguson's number one sax player in the days. Right. And he used to back all the smooth contemporary jazz artists when they came to town or around Florida. Mm-hmm. Now the next album I got him on it, and I love Rick Braun, his trumpet player. Mm-hmm. And Mike had played with Rick Braun, so he put me on to Rick Braun, so Rick Braun is now on my album. And I got a call from a billionaire in New York uh, with the first album. He loved it. <laughs> he said, how'd you like to come and play with the big boys and earn some really good money and have some fun? And so you thought about it? Yeah, really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. And what he, his concept was to put 17 to 20-odd international top jazz artists together on an album, yeah. record an album, and then tour it where the bands would revolve so each there'd be seventeen different artists on the yeah. one tour, which is a great idea. So we did the album. It was called the Groover Tech Orchestra. Okay. Um, it was really successful. It was number eight on all sorts of charts. Right. And, um, he was a bit of a character. Yeah. Uh, he uh, came to an abrupt halt along the white line somewhere, but but it, it introduced me to a lot of people, gave me more profile. And the last album, I thought, well, I've got Rick, I've got Mike. I'd really like to get. Philippe Sace uh, on um, keyboards, mm. and he was in the Groove Attack Orchestra. Okay. So I just called him up to yeah. do it. Yeah. Cool. So that's progressed me. I'm still, like, I get to about number 17 on those charts. Okay. Which is good, but not enough demand for me to go and play live. That's what I need to be doing. Right. Yeah. But I've been a couple of times. I've played, the last time I've, I've just been all over the States now with the, mm. with the speakers a few times. But I actually played in Clearwater while I was there too. That's in Florida as well, isn't it? Yeah. That was an interesting experience. Um, so it's, it's introduced me into the American market as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, but along the way, with these, when I was about 17 and uh, took, took up the bass, I couldn't afford two cabinets, so I thought I'd make one, and my dad was a wood machinist. Okay. And uh, I was really friendly with the Nova Sound people, they were called Strass in those days. And they said, oh, we'll give you the components, you can make your own. So the, me and my dad made the, the speaker box, and now I had two. Okay. And I had a 60-watt Strauss Lancer head, which 60. I thought would, Wow! <laughs> and I went to a gig with 60 watts and went, Mm. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) so along the line um, I hooked up with Trace Elliott and Status with the uh, music import company here Mm -hmm. and I was doing the demos and clinics here right and I got to know a bit about the the product and and why it made it work and they were pretty revolutionary when they came out Mm. It really helped. Well, that's why the, that's why these came about. Mm. I said to Clive and Mark, well, 
Clive Roberts and Mark Gooday. Mark Gooday now runs Ashdown, that's his company. Yeah. I said to Clive, what, why don't you just split this 410 and make it two, two tens, then they're more portable. Mm. And he said, funny you mentioned that, we've done something like that. But what they did, there's the cabinet looking at you, they split it, but then they tipped it up that way and faced the speakers out that way. So it was really thin. Ah, okay. Yep. So it had no depth. And I yeah. went, you just lost the plot and the beauty you had in your cab was it was deep. Yeah. Um, so I, I said, well, I'll go off and do it myself. When was this? Back to uh, in the late 90s, okay. I think. Late so you built your first one and then you were with Trace Elliott and then late 90s you decided to go back and build again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that and... Um, I got together with a, a company, Lawrence Audio, here, and Sound Solution were uh, my crew, who are now Deluxe Audio. There's Dave and Tony down there. Okay. They were my crew with Get Off the Cat, that band. Ah, right. And I'd said to Dave and Tony, well, do you want to make these for me? This is what I want. I drew them, and this is what I want out of the speakers. And they went off to Lawrence and said, can you design this speaker? But they ended up having an off-the-shelf speaker. But that, that was still really good. Is, is Laurent's car audio? Did he do the car audio stuff? No. 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 He, he does do something else. He does do some things, but no, no, no he doesn't. No. Not really. And um, so they did that, and that, they were made by Sound Solution. That was their company. Right. Which was, and they were good. They, I sold a fair few of them. They mm. were two tens. They were really, really light. Mm. And a 15, and some pesos in, in the horn. Okay. So you could have a three way setup. Yeah. And I wasn't that happy, really. I, th I thought, well, this could be better. So in 2001, I released, I went to Lawrence, Mikhail Barabas, his name. I said, I really want to redesign these to what I wanted in the first place. Um, he said, okay, we'll design a speaker. So I, I took my Trace Elliott digital preamp with a graph in it to him, uh, in the, that six-string bass. Yep. I need this to come out of the speaker first before I even touch any EQ. Right. Yeah, uh, out of a 10-inch speaker. Mm. And he said, you want what? Out of a 10-inch speaker? <laughs> uh, so we did it. Um, he did it by... the Kevlar impregnated cones, and there's a 70mm voice coil in them, so it moves like a 15. And the rest of it is his genius and my ears that, mm -hmm. that, that get the sound. We did two prototypes... And I thought heavily about marketing and I went straight to Bass Player magazine and said I need a review and a full page ad. They acclaimed them as the best they've ever, well I think the quote was for every other speaker manufacturer to aspire to. Wow. And so I, I virtually got claimed the best there are in yeah. 2001. Right. Uh, they were passive boxes and they, um, they were flying out the door in June 2001, I got that interview in Bass Player. Yeah. A review, sorry. And they were going everywhere, and I'm doing it myself again. Yeah. So I was, I just had a nice smile on my face. Yeah. Then September the 11th came along. My orders just stopped. Right. Because my main market was America. They were going to the UK and Guam and all sorts of places. Wow. So I, I stopped, and I just kept playing, doing my gigs. Okay. And a couple of years ago, um, I spoke to the guy that gave me that review mm. and asked him whether he'd be interested in coming in with me and starting up again. Right. And he was. He said, well, 
ever thought about power cabinets? And he knew the company that I used the power amps with. <coughs> Excuse me. So I thought, well, that, that's a good idea. And then you just need a preamp. Mm. Um, so I built these. I did. Well, I had the drivers. Didn't need to fix them. Okay, but I fixed the drivers. Yeah. <coughs> I didn't need to uh, fix anything except maybe the weight because they were made of, out of MDF. So I made these out of poplar ply, which are lighter. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll also make them more portable. So I put the pull-up handle and the wheels on them. Yep. So, right. Uh, I'll use a different tweeter, uh, only because the person that made mine, he went out of business and took my moulds with him. <laughs> so I fired up again. I, I made the prototypes and I didn't have to do much. I looked for all the best components I could get. Uh, for the finish, which is, the hardware is just peripheral. Uh, I look for decent handles and the same corners were great. Yeah. If they're not broke, don't fix them. Grills were good. Um, so I looked for the best carpet I could get. Mm. Uh, this is the most highly rated UV carpet you can get as well. So I so went... It won't, it won't shrink, meaning? Uh, for outdoors, it won't fade. A lot of, lot of the black, a lot of them fade in colour. Yeah. Through the sun. Okay. So I can go into the cabinets more later. More later. Yeah. But um, that's basically why, where I'm at yeah. as far as where I came from. And, yeah. Um, and what I do. So I still, at the moment, this is just taking a bit of a backseat, which is I usually practice like four or five days a week, two hours a day, yeah. an hour and a half minimum. Just to keep these these calluses sure. happening, and yeah. when I do jump on stage, it's not so hard for match practice. Yeah, loss, yeah. You know? yeah. um, so that's a bit of a backseat, but one's helped the other. And I, at the moment, I've I've been introduced and, and become friends with some of the top people, bass players in America and around the world. So it's good. Yeah, it, it's often how it works. You know, you even just musically, you spend more time. Something comes along and you go, okay, I've got to, I just got to chase this opportunity until it's done, and then through that you end up coming back and doing what you were before. But it's because of what you learned from doing this one, mm. you're at a further forward already from your from the yeah. other part of your your music or your business. Yeah. Well, I've been the last trip with the bass player live thing, and my endorsee was playing. He, he replaced Lewis Johnson in the Brothers Johnson. Okay. Andre, Andre Berry, this is. Oh, okay. And they were doing a tribute to George Johnson, one of the brothers, yep. and Andre in the band. And they got inducted and, and awarded, etc. And I was there in the room with him, with his bass rig. And while before they went on, the Chris Jizzy from, he was the head of Bass Player magazine, was backstage and he says, Oh, this is, this is Verdine White, <laughs> this is Jerry Jamont, and, and this is Marcus's manager. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> what what a privilege it was for me to meet cool. them people yeah. as a bass player, you know, and as far as what I do. So you don't get those opportunities every day, and they're and they're sitting side stage while Andre's playing, is Verdine White, Jerry Jamont, and Tal Wilkenfeld, the three of them. Cool. They're just sitting side stage, and I'm looking up, thinking, great, you get a really nice earful of my rigs, you know, with Andre playing. Yeah, Andre's an amazing player. Yeah. So those opportunities, and then a guy walks in, Seku Bunch, his name is. He's a huge player over there. Yeah, I've heard of Seku, yeah. Yeah, 
he's actually producing a Michael Jackson um, uh, tribute album from major artists doing a song doing various material of his mm -hmm. at the same time as playing all the bass he does mm -hmm. he was a friend of Andre's right. and he came into the, the, the booth or not booth the, the display mm -hmm. of bass player live and said I've been hanging out with Andre playing your rigs and I loved them so I'm doing a TV show up the road can I use one Sure. So I jumped in the car, took him up a rig. I was in the TV show in the studio. Uh, they were all set up and it was a really high-end thing they were doing. And the engineer was a guy called Ralph Sutton, who's done Whitney Houston, Elton John, God knows who else. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, I made sure he was okay. You know, his DI level was all right. And, um, he turned to his assistant and said, have we done anything? He said, no. He said, sit down. <laughs> Have a listen to this. We're stunning. And he said, we can't get that clarity in studios in this digital age. So, right. so we're talking now, business-wise. It's um, <laughs> one thing leads to another, right? Yeah. That's, that's, right. You know, that, that can't happen here because we've, we've got such a small population and market. We're not into that, that mainstream. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Um, so go, going back to bass playing, mm -hmm. is there somebody in your career who was really kind of influential and did you have a, a teacher who was really influential in your playing or? The only teacher was me right. <laughs> and the world. Yeah. In those days, um, when I decided to take up bass, it was in the days of the Beatles and the Stones and mm -hmm. all that and, and blues with John Mayall. And, mm -hmm. So. You had the needle on the record, you'd learn a bit, you lift the needle off, you put it back on, you'd learn a bit more. And you learnt all those songs and I was writing at the same time. So I'd be playing, uh, who was in the Uriah Heap, um, uh, Iron Maiden, Eric Clapton, that's where I was, and, and Beatles and Soul. I, as a drummer, I was in all the soul stuff, Wilson Pickett, oh, okay. Otis Redding and all that. Yeah. But as a bass player, there was Jeff Beck and... and Proper stuff. Yeah, that's where I started. And uh, then, I, so you had to teach yourself, there was nowhere. Mm -hmm. When I left school, my dad, mum said to me, well, if you're going to do it to properly, you, know, you could only go to a conservatorium, which was all classical yeah. in those days. Yeah. Now look at it. Yeah. You know? so much available now I'm a, I've been a teacher at those places like Wesley and Box Hill and mm -hmm. so you had to teach yourself but along the line you think I don't know I don't really know what I'm doing so I've learned about modes and scales and, and chords yeah and went aha uh -huh. okay so you but your influences of all the things like it was Southern Wind we were doing Lee Rittenau Larry Carlton okay uh, all that sort of stuff. So I'm learning all those bass lines. Wilton Felder was phenomenal in those days. Right, yeah. But he went to sax. That's right. He played, yeah, he played, he played on um, I Want You Back, the Jackson 5. Oh, I think he may have, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know what else he played on outside the Christmas. I, I remember somebody posted a video up going, oh, you know, Wilton Felder, great sax player. And I was like, don't you mean Wilton Felder, great bass player? And I didn't know he did both. <laughs> oh, he was a phenomenal bass player. Yeah. Pops Popwell came in and replaced him. Right. But he was a big influence. And then Marcus Miller has been my biggest influence. 
Yeah, and I'm so lucky to know him now and yeah. I've, I've been in the studio with him while he's rehearsing and sit next to him while we're watching his own band rehearse. <laughs> he owns a pair of my first cabinets, the, right. the passive ones right. in 2001. It was strange. I didn't endorse him then. We will be talking when he finishes tour. I'm hoping to meet up with him with these. Brilliant. But, um, uh, yeah. so, so mainly just all self-taught and learning self-taught. from records and playing in bands? Yeah. Yeah, but then right. to the to the point where I became a master class technician and was going in teaching other people. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it comes to you. Music is it's expression, it's emotion, it's it's. But this is a tool. Yeah, and yeah, you know, the rest is theory. It, it, but it's the like rest a, is it's really just time. You know, anyway, if you spend enough time on the instrument, you're going to get. You're gonna get that you've obviously put in enough time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you if you could go back, you know, back in time, whatever, is there some advice you would have given a young Wayne Jones? Not really, because it it, it was all um, appropriate for the time. Yep. Um, hang on a second. We got some pins going past. Advice you're you're asking? Yeah, uh, yeah, there is hindsight. Yeah, but I've lived the life as a, a musician. Yeah. Yeah, also, all sides of it. The the advice I would give would be more uh, think more as a business enjoy it at the same time, but really add more of a business sense. Earplugs. Ear, earplugs. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, yeah. and a lot of the younger players do that all the yeah. time now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mainly the business and how to uh, how to. Uh, it's a family and it's a people thing so uh, I've always got on with people mm. but you learn along the way how to how to relate with people anyway so I wouldn't give yeah. myself any advice now yeah. advice to a young player now yes definitely mm. would be okay learn your craft um, develop your own personality your own voice within your instrument because mm-hmm. that's your, that's your voice that's your creativity your you sing with that, you know. learn it, uh, practice with the metronome all the time, uh, listen to the length of your notes, it's really important. Uh, and in simple terms with your theory, there are seven scales and seven chords. Mm. That's your paint box as an artist to draw on, to express yourself with. Yeah. Um, and then go out and get, and pay your dues, to, in that word means go out and get experience. We all need it. It's like an apprentice. Yeah. Mm. They serve a few years. It used to be five, now it's less. Then they have to go out and get experience in their trade. Mm. We're no different, except we're very we're lucky we're creative. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it's good. Good advice. Um, so along those lines, what do you think are the, some of the most important qualities for being a good bass player? Um, as a person? As a, well, as I guess, you know, personality. Yeah, more, yeah. more just of, you know, um, why would somebody want to book this bass player instead of this yeah. bass player? You know, okay. what, they what, all, what do people look for in terms of a bass player? Yeah, in, it, in it, all, it all comes into play. As a person, mm-hmm. you have to have people skills. Yeah. And you have to enjoy other people, uh, enjoy the difference that, that they, they bring mm. and respect that. And sometimes it's not going to match up don't belong there yeah. you know, get out of there find the people 
there's nothing new. If a young guy goes into a band, he finds a good group of friends. If he doesn't, he's in the wrong band. Mm. You know? So that's very important. Okay. Uh, temperamental things come into it with the artist's temperament. Mm. Yeah, you give and take a little bit of that. But mostly if you're in the right band, you're not going to have much of that at all. Mm. Work as a team. Uh, you can each, you each bring something other than your instrument to a business mm. in, in the marketing of what you're doing. If you're writing and recording, mm-hmm. you plan that schedule it so you're making the most of your time efficiency for rehearsal you're prepared before you go to rehearsal with what you're going to learn you make efficient you make fun and an efficient time out of your rehearsal it's all fun Mm. it has to be then you think of the business side okay gigs record deals a lot of bands now do it themselves okay what have you got to do? Where do you want to go? You have to have a vision, really, of where you want to be and work towards that. A young bass player, okay. I'd like to be touring. I'd like to have videos, apps, CDs. How do I do it? One, learn your craft, learn your skills, learn your instrument, learn all about the sounds. That takes time. Uh, get together with a group of friends or a band that want to do the same thing and get, go to the same place. Mm and put in the work. Uh, write and arrange and, uh, and produce your songs because it's your material. Well, and then work with the producer uh, if you need one mm-hmm. that knows where you want to go. Okay, I have a CD in my hand. Mm-hmm. How do I get gigs? How do I get that on radio? Welcome to the world of... <laughs> How do I get a gig? All right. <coughs> It used to be you go knocking on an agent's door, uh, and yeah, they wouldn't listen to everything. Mm. You have to create a demand. No, the agents will come to you when you create the demand. So yeah. best way is to go and put on your own gig somewhere, yeah. or go and support an act somewhere. That's always been a great one. Mm. So people get to see you. The more support you do, the next time around as you get gaining momentum, you may get a headline mm-hmm. show. Uh, that's how record companies do it. When they start off a band, they, they'll put a band on support of a major headline. Yeah, yeah. Next time around, they headline their own shows. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can go to a record company and let them do it and give up a part of your um, percentage of sales, etc. and then you get what you negotiate. Mm. It's as simple as that. Um, and agents, that all goes hand in hand. That, that's some, somebody else doing it for you. Mm-hmm. So you've got to oversee every bit of it with a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. If you do it yourself, uh, they like that too. Then a lot of the record companies won't sign anymore uh, to it because a lot of people are doing it themselves. Yeah. So you can record your own stuff. You've, you, you, your guitar player does great artwork. Oh, can you do the cover? Okay, yeah. how's this? Yeah, that's good. Can you change that? So you're working uh, as a team. So you have your product. Okay, let's go and shoot some video on YouTube. Got a mate that does good videos? Or can you afford to pay a professional? Mm. Uh, then you, you've got some YouTube stuff happening. Social media, Facebook, YouTube, the whole lot. You have to have that happening. Yeah. And uh, all right, I've got that far. How do I get to radio? Mm-hmm. Okay. You get to radio by them liking what you're doing. And uh, you get it slotted in. Uh, record companies have more clout than any independent. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're not creating a demand for them to play it and then for them to get their ratings, again, it comes from 
the artist, you have to create the demand. Mm. Record companies can go around once a week and, and shop new artists. They've got a lot of clout. I mm. was in a band called FX years ago with, and we were signed to Glenn Wheatland's. And we were also through RCA in mm. those days, which became BMG. And um, uh, our manager was Nathan Brenner, who managed Split Ends and Men at Work. And we wondered why we weren't getting enough airplay. So I, I was representing the band and had a meeting with the radio station, which was Lee Simon and Eon FM in those days. And Lee's great. So Nathan and I and Lee sat down and said, well, how come we not get enough airplay? And they just looked at each other. They knew. They said, well, Elton John might have a new record coming out. So we're bound to push Elton John more than you. Yeah. especially around October to Christmas time and all that. Right. So it's, it's a business. Whoever's got the most earning capacity gets the airplane. In the States, now, I've done this myself and I'll highly recommend it. I've had my product in my hand. I've gone to a radio, a top radio promoter in my genre mm -hmm. and say, will you get me airplay? I paid him four and a half grand American, I think for an eight to 12 week push. Right. And he guaranteed me top five. And that's where I got number one most mm. added. So they do their job. Yeah. It's up to the record after that. Yeah. So that, that gives you your name. So and then you gotta keep the ball rolling after that. Yeah. yeah. Just gotta keep it going. Yeah. And then you gotta get out there and play live to promote it. Yeah. Then you wanna, when you do get to play it live, you want your seat. That CD sells, at the, they're, they're not CDs anymore, they're MP3s most of the time, downloads, but for me, in my genre, it's CDs uh, as well. Yeah. And if I play live, I have CDs, it's, you have yeah, your merchandise. For sure, yeah. So live stuff is more fruitful, more fruitful than the, um, than the uh, record company stuff. Yeah. Record companies have been wanting to get in on your live stuff a lot. They call it a 360 degree deal. <laughs> yeah. So, that's the advice I'd give any young musician or band starting off now. Yeah. It's a great time for them. It is. There's lots of possibilities, you know. But it also feels like there's a lot of... It feels like there's even more musicians and artists now than ever. I think it's harder for people to find your music yeah. than before. If somebody searches online for whatever, there's going to be, you know, every cat and his dog there is yeah, it's, <laughs> there's, it's there's something nice. up there you know so you gotta it seems like you have to try even harder to to poke your head above everything else to be to be seen yeah. to be heard but like you say if the material is good enough um and you you've put everything in place to get it in front of people enough people then if the material is good enough then it should stick it should stay right yeah yeah it's, it's, it's never been any different, but there's just like you say, there's more of it now. It's saturated mm. with a lot, yeah. of, and and a lot of it's not good. You know, it's formulated. You never remember some of the stuff that in years to come that's been pushed out now. Yeah, never in a million. Yeah. So it's a good time, and for me, melody always comes through. Yeah, and if you if you're remembering a song, you're not going to remember a rap. Tune much unless you you want to remember the rap and you always be able to hum or whistle some melody or mm -hmm. from any song from years ago yeah. right up to date. Melodies are key. Cool. I reckon that covers 
Yeah, everything. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for um, stopping by. No problem. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, that's my pleasure. Yeah, we had a bit, of, a bit of nice playing going on there too. You play well, and that bass you got is beautiful. The F bass. Yeah, F bass. I mean, there's a spot for choice here, really. Yeah. We'll, well, get, we'll get into this in a minute, and um, yeah. They're, they're probably my three favourite bases. If, uh, with the status, mm -hmm. um, if I wasn't playing that, I would have played at F bass right. until the Federa come along. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, man. Cheers. Bye, bass players. <laughs>